1: Aren't you interested in learning breakthrough wealth building strategies such as how to flip a home in less than two weeks using other people's money with no real estate license or how to build a low-cost home-based business you can discover how to take passive income from any source and invest it into real estate stocks or business to become financially independent investing in any market with residual roads business institute collaborate with andre and other residual roads advisors to create a free action plan and start implementing strategies today Go to www.residualroads.com or email info at residualroads.com. Welcome to the Investing Uncensored podcast. You've been searching for different ways to become financially independent or generate passive income to live out your life's purpose as you've seen others do it but need insight on how. Well, get excited because here you'll discover the tips and resources to fulfill that need. Andre Stewart has spent more than a decade successfully making it happen for himself and others. This is the Investing Uncensored Podcast. And now here's your host, Andre Stewart.
2: Welcome to another episode of Investing Uncensored. I'm your host, Andre Stewart. And today I'm happy to bring us a pretty cool guest, man. He's done a lot of good things in New York. He's still making a lot of moves. His name is Drew Spaventa. If the picture in the background, you know what I mean, that says enough right there. But I want
3: Drew, man. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. You know, we've been talking for a while, so I'm excited to be your guest.
2: As I mentioned a few minutes ago, tell me a little bit more about
3: this picture. I obviously want
2: one, but it's a super dope picture, man. Can you tell me more about it and and the the idea behind it and where we can
3: get one? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Again, everybody, it seems that every time I speak to somebody and we have this picture in the background, that's the first thing that people say. I originally had this made because I'm a very self-deprecating guy. And I always say two things, right? Or one thing, rather. There's two types of people that are going to look this picture behind me. Either A, you're going to think that I'm full of myself and you're not going to like it. But what I think is going to happen is most people are going to be like, what what is this guy all about? Right? Why the hell is there a big picture of him painted on himself? Is he this full of himself? And the bottom line is again, I'm very self deprecating. I make fun of myself. If you come into my office, I got Bob Ross over there. I got a bunch of collectibles, Back to the Future, Batman, Ghostbusters. But as far as this thing is concerned, I just wanted a picture of myself in some ridiculous portrait. And I went onto a website, it's called I uh, wasn't paid for anything like that to endorse them, but it's a fun website. Went on there, looked at a bunch of stuff that they had, and I said there's going to be no picture that I'd be best suited for than one that shows me having an amazing body that apparently I'm never going to get, wrestling mythological creature like the three-headed Cerberus. So I decided to get this ridiculous portrait of myself, looks pretty good, it actually looks like it was painted. My fund manager actually put it in a canvas for me as a present, and I promised my chief technology officer, I said, listen, any podcast that I do moving forward, this is going to have to be the background. So here we are today. Anybody with a
2: bald head must feel proud, man, because it's like, you know what I mean? I'm, you I'm sure you mean? would agree.
3: <laughs> I'm sure you would agree, man.
2: Gotta love it. That's why I was like, I got to find me one of those, man. Give me a little bit about your background, man. Let us know, you know where you came from, how you grew up, and how you got into the VC alternative investing space.
3: Yeah, it was a long road, one that's not really traveled in our industry. I started single parent. My my mother, my father wasn't around. I just reconnected with him a few years ago, kind of got his side of the story of how things happened in my childhood. But he wasn't around, so I grew up with a single mother, what I like to call, as I tell everybody, Americanized poverty. And I always make sure to call it Americanized because other countries have true poverty. The worst person off in this country still has a pretty good compared to other countries. So I say Americanized poverty, you know, welfare, all that stuff, moving every few months because we couldn't afford anything, you know, lived in a homeless shelter when I was a child, all that stuff. So I didn't have I'll put it to you this way. I was always obsessed because not having money and always getting being, I guess, what you would call the poor kid of the class. I was always obsessed with wealth and decisions behind wealth and how to make money. And I always dreamt since I was a little kid of being able to be financially secure, secure, more than financially secure, very, very successful financially. And I got obsessed with business. And that's really started, obviously, my obsession with business. As I approached my, my late teens and got into my 20s, I started a DJ company. I started a construction company, a sound system installation company, went through a bunch that was a learning experience, didn't work out. But my first true successful venture was becoming a DJ and being what we call a mobile DJ on Long Island through New York into Connecticut into New Jersey Mm -hmm. from there started doing pretty well starting learning the ins and outs of how to run a a very small business more importantly as I've explained to a few other people that I've been a podcast with I learned the the nature of human beings how to interact with people how to read people and then from there met an individual that was a financial professional he took Mm -hmm. me under his wing things didn't work out between him and I Mm-hmm. but that's really my entry into the world of finance mm-hmm. and then i really had this vision you know going back 14 years ago that i wanted to create an investment an all-encompassing investment firm to mm-hmm. manage assets for individuals Mm. And it was a rough and bumpy ride because here I am a few months away from being becoming 37 after a few other ventures and being a managing director for an investment firm, starting another investment company with a business partner that didn't work out because it wasn't, stars weren't aligned between the both of us. Mm. I decided to launch the company that bears my name, the Spaventa Group. So mm. as it stands, what we are is what I call an investment company, right? Yeah. We have three different divisions. We have an asset management division where we manage assets via our several investment funds, which right now our bread and butter is VC. Mm-hmm. We have an advisory division, which we do traditional financial planning and mm-hmm. wealth management. And then we have an insurance division as well. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are today. You know, we've been around for a few mm-hmm. years. We're scaling considerably. We have a little over 40 people within the organization. So we're not a multi-billion dollar firm as of yet, but we're not small fries either. And we're growing by the month, interviewing a lot of other people to join the organization. We're going to start growing our brand in our own backyard in addition to nationally. We've had a nice amount of success so far, but yeah, that's that's where we are today. It's funny, man. We have similar
2: backgrounds, and one thing that I do talk about a lot of times is I think the benefit of growing up poor because I grew up the same way. You develop this like drive and this determination to be successful, and honestly, you go towards having money because you didn't have it. But that also gives you compassion to want to help other people out, and so that's how right. you Excuse get me, it from breaking Correct. Excuse me <laughs> oh, that's fine. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the benefits of coming from that background and seeing what you're doing. So, you say you guys are heavy in the VC space. What kind of companies do you like investing in and what's your minimum dollar amount when it comes to the venture capital space?
3: Yeah, we do with retail investors. We're not dealing with ultra high net worth investors or predominantly interest, uh, institutions. You have to be accredited, which means that you have to make either $200,000 a year single, $300,000 a year joint with a spouse or a million dollar net worth outside your primary residence. So that's 100% of our client base. Our minimums could be as low as $25,000, mm-hmm. so it's nothing extraordinary. But we have a lot of clients. We have a little over 1,000 now over the last few years. And again, we're, we're growing considerably. As far as what companies we like to invest in, we're big in the secondary markets. So we're investing a lot in late-stage companies. Uh, prior investments include SpaceX, Airbnb, which has got, we've already had a liquidity event. We've invested in SoFi, which is short for social finance. Palantir Technologies was an investment of ours. Uber, Lyft, so on and so forth, Epic Games, a defense company by the name of Anderle Industries. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, as far as what kind of companies, I never like to limit myself to a specific industry. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say we're only focusing exclusively on artificial intelligence or financial technology <clears throat> or space or anything like that. I look at myself as an opportunistic investor and kind of look at the broad spectrum of what's going on and where there might be opportunity. Now, mind you we also have to follow what's take that top-down approach see what the economy is doing right now where we think things are going to be three to five years from now even further from that and make a decision on what we're going to do but at the end of the day i mean it really comes down to strategy because you know we're playing a high risk high reward game even with companies that are in the later stage of their business cycles So the bottom line is, in the event that we have an investment that doesn't work out the way we want, we have to strategize. In the event that we have a company that generates us a crazy multiple for our clients, which we've had, we strategize again. But ultimately, we're very in the know and constantly digging in to see what aspects of the market are going to be working out, what industries are going to be coming through that are going to be big. I know that everybody's talking now because of ChatGPT, Generative Artificial Intelligence, you know, we were following that, you know, a few months back. And I think major reason for that is, is because of our network. We're constantly plugged into what's going on and everything like that. And we're just really trying to isolate the best companies that we feel that we're going to make a return for our investors.
2: What's the minimum check size for you guys going in on a company, even the later stages? $25,000. 25000 okay, 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 you did say that. So then I have to ask this question, man. The venture capital space in the U.S. is very tricky. In 2019, 2020, when all those monies were going toward uh, investment firms, none of the VCs were giving money to minority owners. So coming from New York, you know how it goes with people coming from certain demographics. It's very hard to get funds for business. What's your outlook on investing? And why do you think that is like, you know, some of the VCs in the U.S. only invest in particular corporations that don't have that many minority owners? Because the, the fund that went, went into the industry for, for minorities was 1%. And there's a lot of money that went into that space. So what do you guys approach to our minority owners in that space when it comes to giving funds?
3: Yeah, as, as far as that's concerned, the, the answer is, I don't know why it's like that. Minority owners, I mean, we're predominantly not primary investors at this point. Everything we mm-hmm. buy is secondary. Mm-hmm. So one of the companies that we're approached with or we're looking at happens to be, you know, not, not, no minorities there. or It's all white owned. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's a company we want. We're, we're still going to invest it in it. The the minority question, right? So I'll put it to you this way. I'm a white straight guy, right? If you've been following the news over the last three to four years, I have not made, right? As a white straight guy. Yeah, yeah. I have no bearings, whatever. I walk out and the sun's shining on me, right? The way I look at it is my organization is very diverse. Mm-hmm. I've had Asian American, Latin American, non-straight people, mm-hmm. black, white, I'm the only guy in town that had women. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So my approach, and I'm very open about this, mm-hmm. I don't look at any particular group and say, I'm going to help you out and give you an opportunity over this individual because you're black, mm-hmm. because you're a Latin American, because you're gay, because you're straight, or because of this. No matter what your background is, I'm gonna give you the opportunity. So the reason why I'm talking about what I've done in my firm is because I can't talk about the 1% of VCs and what the hell they do. I can't. (laughs) I can only talk about what I do. (laughs) And the way I look at it is, listen, I'm gonna give you all the opportunity in the world to make yourself successful. I don't care what your background is. You're gonna come on board. We're gonna see what we could do. We're gonna see if you could cut it. If you can, great. If you can't, you can't. And I hate having to bring up, I mean, obviously we're having a conversation, but I hate having to bring up like, hey, listen, listen, We have, you know, seven black guys and two guys and one gay person because that that to me is kind of weaponizing what I've done with my people out there. It Mm -hmm. really is. Mm -hmm. But that said, I think my message is far more powerful where I'm not going to, despite the history of the country or this, that I'm not going to step up and say, I'm going to cut you some slack because of your background or Mm -hmm. because you're historically (laughs) oppressed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. what I'm <laughs> going to do is I'm going to give you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you do succeed, you succeeded, not because I felt bad for you or because you were historically oppressed or anything. You succeeded because you were the best for the job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's my It's and, funny
2: because you're a business owner. And so I've, I've talked about this before on podcasts because a lot of people that listen to the narrative, they don't own a business. So they don't know that business owners tend to hire based on the bottom line. We don't care about it could be an alien if That If alien come down and they do a better job than a black person, Mexican, a white person. I'm going to hire the alien. And it's not me being any type of way. It's just like I don't have to stick with a certain demographic because I'm a certain color. Right. I can choose the best for the benefit of my business. Right. So I think it's funny that you said it, because most people like to be PC when it comes
3: to business. Right. Or they, they want to tear the narrative or that's what's being told. Yeah. It's all talk. Correct. My yeah. chief diversity officer, that's just you putting some sort of BS name to something to show, hey, listen, we're being cool and collective. Well, what are you actually doing? What are you, you actually know doing? I mean? yep. As far as, you know, the the race narrative, I think there's racists. For sure. I think there's, I think Black people could be racist. I think there are Black people that are racist. I think, obviously, there's white people that are racist. Yeah. There's Spanish people that are racist, Asian-Americans that are racist. I think there's non-straight people that don't like straight. There's... That just goes around i right. think the majority of people are cool though they don't yeah. have a problem with it. i think the majority of people what we see on tv and what the media covers is all the negative aspects because that's what's going to get the most eyeballs that's yeah. what's going to generate the most Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. exactly exactly yeah. but you know to a greater extent i think my story is kind of unique because i think it's less of a race sexuality issue religion issue and more yeah. of a class correct class yep. <laughs> okay because we have wealthy black people, you know, take cheesy mm-hmm. or Will Smith or you know any wealthy black person. Their kids are growing up fine. Sure. <laughs> Their kids are growing up a lot better than some poor white people, Mm -hmm. right? Again, you would look at me as like a straight white dude that's um, of course you you own an investment firm, of course you're successful. Well, no, it took me a long time to get here. And if Mm -hmm. you look at statistics, I should be either a drug addict or homeless at this point based on my background. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing is also, if you look at my environment, I don't know what happened. I don't know if you want to call it God or whatever, but I always had an inner drive that I don't want to be what my environment was. I've been in some really run-down neighborhoods that were predominantly white, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know? And listen, you know, its I can't say I could relate to, you know, a black person or a Spanish person or anything like that. But what I can do, taking a step back and seeing some of these neighborhoods when, you know, I was hustling as a teenager and everything like that. Uh, I won't, you know, hey, listen, it was 25 years ago, but I did it. It also gives you more experience correct? Right? And that yep. sees you And from a different light. I know how life could be when you're pretty well off. I know how life could be when you're pretty not well off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you're you gotta go to the bank and deposit one dollar because you're negative 17 cents. If you don't deposit that one dollar, you're gonna overcharge with $35. Yeah. Right. So I I think the issue to a greater extent. Socioeconomic. Yeah. And and really the the neighborhoods, it's it's unfortunate, man. But like if you take a, a rundown black neighborhood, what you would call the ghetto. Right, mm-hmm. I think the issue is it's not from like a top-down government approach, but it's definitely a community approach. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to say, but it's—I think it's really true, man. Mm-hmm. You know, because statistically speaking, if seventy percent of black people grow up without a father, who are kids going to look like? Who's a male? Who's who's a male going to look at for guidance? Right, person with in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's where, and it's going to be this vicious cycle. Right. You really do have to take that community approach. And again, it could be a, a rundown black neighborhood. It could be a rundown white neighborhood, whatever it is. And that's the dialogue that I'm fine speaking about. You're fine yes. speaking about But a lot of people can't. So it yes. the becomes, well, what's the answer? And that's something we're looking into too. I already told them, I said, listen, I want eventually, once we get to a certain point, because strategically you have to be there and we're still in hyper growth phase, but mm-hmm. we're starting a few things, especially here on the island, because on the island you have the wealthiest towns in America. Mm -hmm. two towns away you could have a town that's pretty poor yeah so how about we start looking for underprivileged individuals regardless of race or where they came from i actually started doing that with my jersey city office Mm -hmm. we start looking for underprivileged individuals that have a good head on their shoulders that we could actually at least take on their wing and say hey listen we're going to show you an avenue where you could build wealth for yourself and this is what's going to take yeah but the thing is you can lead a horse to water you can't force it to drink, and that's the thing about human nature
0: ever thought to yourself, I wish I could get into real estate investing. You can change this as quickly or as slowly as you want to now. Imagine yourself networking and making new connections in real estate globally, or buying an investment property in a market or country that fits your needs. People do. They know what I'm talking about. And now you can too, with InvestFAR. Connect and join the network. Remote investing made safe and easy.
2: What you're pointing out is is very important. I think a lot of times people forget that we are humans and then it just goes to just being a particular color. And it's like, why can't we just look out for everybody? Why do we have to choose a side? It's the same thing with politics. We got to choose to be on a side versus like choosing what's right for everybody. You know what I mean? So I think we need to take the humanistic approach and not just based on me being this color, or me being this, you know, gender or whatnot.
3: Yeah. And, I, and again, I think, you know, it's the stories that the media tells that, right. you know, many people act a certain way. It's messed up, man. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. You know, we have, you know, I joke around, you know, and we have several offices. The, our office on Long Island, Suffolk County is our headquarters. Mm-hmm. So even in our headquarters, we have a lot of our client management team out there, even mm-hmm. though I would prefer that the executive team like myself have our own office there's mm-hmm. something about still being in the trenches with our organization. So, even though I can't be in the our, our Jersey office or our Florida office that we're launching or the other out East office, like I said, we're growing pretty uh, pretty remarkably, I'm still, you know, I see my client management team out there. Mm-hmm. So, something that's funny is I go out there and I made a joke and everybody, you know, we're all on the same page. So, within our, our office, we had a section where over here we had six black guys mm-hmm. all together. All okay. of a sudden, I see a bunch of white guys, Asian American. And then one day, everybody's you know, just talking at lunch, and I, we have music in the background, and I shut the music off, and I said, hey, guys, everybody lo- turns around and looks at me. So we got a problem here. They said, what? I said, you got to understand the optics of this. You got a white ball guy with tattoos on his neck. I got all the black dudes in the corner over, here. <laughs> <laughs> and they all started laughing. And I was like, you got to understand the optics of that. And everybody started laughing because they, you know, and we didn't do that on purpose. You it know just happens I mean? like that. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. And that's another thing. And, you know, everybody thinks you can't joke around about hot topics like that. You can, you know what I mean? You yeah. got to know what you're into and you have to have a friendly relationship. But, you know, and again, I think that's a massive issue. So to go back what you asked me, like, you know, seven, eight minutes ago, as far as what VC could do with minority-owned organizations, I can't answer that. I don't know. I don't speak to anybody else. I could only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. If the opportunity comes across, again, I, I don't look at anything beyond what that person's presenting to me. Yeah. If they're presenting to me an idea that I believe in. But most importantly, most importantly, the team behind that idea I believe it. Right. that's the most important thing because yeah. as a business I'm sure you would agree, dude. And mm-hmm. I've it took me years to learn this 90% of what's going to be successful is the team behind it. Their mindset, their attitude, their ability to be resourceful, their ability to conquer all that good stuff combined. Um, and that's what I look for, man.
2: I mean, I appreciate that. I'm saying uh, you went somewhere that most people don't want to go. Right. You went, and, you told the truth. You're not being PC about it, which is, a, which is great. And I tell you this all the time, man. Until you have a business, until you run your own business, you can't understand what business owners do and how they navigate. So it's hard for you to say this percentage of people do this. If you don't know that percentage of people and you've never been in their shoes, you know what I mean? So yeah, man, the narrative is serious, man. I, I can't talk about that enough. I talk about this stuff on my podcast all the time too. So I appreciate that.
3: Good. That's I think, I think open light dialogue like this is even better. You For know sure. what I mean? It's yep. It's true. I think like, like you said, a lot of people are afraid to, I'm not afraid to approach any topic. You know, obviously I always run the, I guess the risk of pissing off a certain person or saying somebody, yeah. but this guy, but you know what? Listen, man, Uh, the realest people are the most vilified. Correct. And it's, you know, I like to be real and not have it have a detrimental effect on myself and my brand, not because of me, but I also have people out there that are relying on the success of this firm. I, I don't want to do anything detrimental to the firm. That being said, I'm also not going to be fake and not be who I am.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Keep it 100 with whoever. doesn't matter. Clearly
3: with this photo of myself behind me. So. <laughs>
2: So I know you mentioned what well, we talked about is I know you're in, in different spaces investment wise. I know you're in the metaverse. I know you're in crypto. What's your thoughts on the crypto space? You know, what I mean, it's, it's been changing a lot lately, but what are you guys doing in that space?
3: Yeah, I mean, we we have our own crypto portfolio. We do not offer it to investors. Not mm. as it, not. Okay, 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 the, okay. the regulatory environment is really harsh. They're trying to still figure things out. Anytime that you have a, a new asset class or something innovative, you're kind of conflicting with the, I mean, look who's in Congress and the regulators. You know, you have people that, you know, can't explain what a, a blockchain is or the, when they were talking about Facebook, they didn't even know how, you know, social media worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the people that are dictating the rules of yeah. all these coming emerging technologies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think that's an issue. So I think if they, they become educated more about certain technologies, it's going to be a boon. But no, we don't, we don't offer crypto, anything to our clients aside from the two crypto investments that we made when we were investors several years ago we're Mm -hmm. invested in another crypto exchange that's the extent that we would allow our clients to have exposure to crypto as at least right now but we're not doing anything as far as like crypto funds Mm -hmm. specifically for our clients until we get at least more feedback on what's going on with the regulatory environment i don't think the technology is going away anytime soon i think it's okay but again you know you got thousands of tokens most of which are BS, most of which are being pumped up. But if anything, I think this crackdown with FTX, we avoided FTX. Mm-hmm. And I was offered FTX. Mm-hmm. And I said no. So mm-hmm. why did I say no? Did I have a crystal ball that what was going to go down was going to go down? No, not at mm-hmm. the time. But mm-hmm. a three-year-old company being worth $35 billion and doing all the, you know, riding derivatives, it was just, to me, too risky at the point. I said, if I get into, involved in another idea, I, we have enough exposure to crypto space. I think we will go with a, a different company. As mm-hmm. far as Metaverse, I mean, Metaverse is going to be more practical in gaming, and we're invested in gaming people, uh, gaming, people gaming companies, uh, mm-hmm. but we're still a few years away from that. And and that's the, that's the thing, man, because you have all these buzzwords and all these hot topics that everybody wants to use to say, get in and now, let's pump this up, let's do that. But as an investor, I think my greatest advantage is I'm very disciplined and patience. And I look to cut the the BS away from the truth. And at mm. the same time, look to be on the cutting edge of something that might blow up down the road. So again, metaverse, I could see the applications in the gaming. Virtual real estate and how much is being sandboxed in the central land. I don't I'm not really that sold on as of as of right now. You got to show me something a little bit more robust than that. But that's where we are, at least I we stand. From a gaming perspective, same thing with virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so virtual reality being a thing, at least for gaming. Augmented reality, mixed reality, I think there's definitely enterprise that's applications. That. That's definitely going to be a, a better bang for your buck as an investor to invest in mixed reality applications. Mm-hmm. That's my answer on Metaverse and crypto.
2: So then I get a lot of people that come on for business. I deal with a lot of business owners. I mean, I have a business that's in the process of getting funded right now. How do we get companies in front of you? Is there a place that they can submit their deal? Do you do from series B? Because I know you said later stage. Are you series A, series B, or how do we get these companies in front of you?
3: Yeah. So typically, so when we deal with companies on the later stage, uh, we're not primary investors. We're not coming in with nine figures or anything and directly investing in the company. Most of what we do is on a secondary basis where we're, Predominantly purchasing from direct shareholders within that organization to get access to that company. Got it. Got to get it. We're in the process of looking at series A and series B companies. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but for every hundred good ideas, one's really good. And right. I tend to know a lot just based on number one, less on the product. And number two, the person I'm speaking with. Mm-hmm. Because I think a dirty secret, dude, is the fact that a lot of these people don't know <laughs> what product is going to work. Correct. And a lot yes. of people don't realize that there, I think Steve Jobs said it, that most people don't know what they want. Mm-hmm. So you could actually create a product and create a market for something that people didn't even think they knew or want, mm-hmm. but that comes down to the people. So you bring a solid group of people that we could believe in and work together with, mm-hmm. that's, that would be interesting to me, something mm-hmm. unique, you know what I mean? That's that's really what it comes down to. It's just, a you know, it's everybody has a hot idea, but the amount of people and the amount of deals that I've seen go south and every time I look back, not that thankfully I've invested, in, I haven't invested in them, nor have I put yeah. my clients on. But tracking back, and you see certain things, and ninety-nine percent of the time, it comes down to the people behind that company. And yep. any any major, v, uh, listen, I have respect for a lot of these famous venture capitalists, like Mark Andreessen. Have a lot mm-hmm. of respect for that guy. But if you look at Andreessen Horowitz, I believe that they're investing anywhere between five hundred to a thousand companies a year now. Yep, yep, like that's crazy, me, right? So if you're investing that amount, obviously, only a small portion is going to net those investors Mm -hmm. but my style as we continue to scale is i'd rather focus on quality Mm -hmm. instead of being passive actually working on that with that company Mm -hmm. uh that company using our resources for that company because our resources right now is our robust client base and our access to capital Mm -hmm. and being more active instead of passive.
2: So then we have an email address, like an info ad
3: so someone can send like a pitch deck or how do you guys want to get deals? Yeah, you could go on our website. We're actually restructuring the layout website a little bit. You go on our website, you contact us, you send it in. You could email me directly, dspaventa at tsginvest.com. We could set something up. I look at every single email that comes across my board. I get at least five pitches a day now. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's going to turn into 20 to 50. So with all those emails, I have to look for reasons not to, you know, I have to look for reasons to, you know, all right, no, no, no. And it it sucks, man, because trust me when I tell you it's, Behind every single one of those emails is somebody that has a dream and a passion, right? Mm-hmm. But there's certain things that I look at, which I'm not gonna say that would catch my attention. And I would say, all right, you know, let me let me have a conversation with this person. And mm-hmm. I'm not proving that I'm the best things to slice bread or I'm the king, that I'm the the, <laughs> the guy to make it happen, but I kind of am one of them that can make certain things happen. And the larger my organization gets, the more leverage we're gonna have, the more we're gonna have, the more connections we'll have. And again, we're, we're in the process of doing so. We, are, are, we have some prominent clients within our investor database I'm not going to mention any names, but again, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, coming from my background, it's kind of remarkable that I have access to this now. So,
2: I man, I'm telling you, same thing, man. On food
3: stamps, did the whole thing. So, with that being said, yeah, food stamps. I remember remember going to the store and getting the the little check and so, saying, hey, Mark, can I can I have this? No, no, no. It says right here we got we got. <laughs> oh, I can't have Sunny Delight. No, you could have the the Pathmark Rape, you know, frozen concentrate. Like, oh, yeah. You know. Can I have, you know, hot dog buns with my hot dogs? No, you take a piece of bread and you fold it, you know? So Exactly, man. I know for me,
2: my whole change in life was mindset. I had a mindset shift because like you said earlier, I did some things coming up too because you have to do certain things and maintain. So what helped you, and we're running out of time, what helped you though? Like what was the shift for you to get you from that point to where you are now and still maintain a sense of like the drive and the stuff that came along with you coming up in that background? It had to be mindset, but what kind of books? And things like that you know that you can recommend
3: i got posters out there who, who i call my true fathers i tell this to everybody i mentioned this on every single podcast andrew Carnegie, napoleon hill hill yep. earl nightingale because if i didn't have a father figure and i had nobody else to soak in i'm going to soak in any of the words of wisdom by these gentlemen that were successful and are real so right. i just soaked that in and again you know because of my background i spent my teen years being a victim. Then I switched and I realized nobody's going to mess with me. And I spent most of my 20s just being angry. And then it got to the point where I was like, you know what, man? You weren't dealt a good hand. There's plenty of people that went through worse crap than you. Change your mindset. Change your attitude. And I tell you, the moment you change your attitude, the universe changes around you. And what's helped me, not the because, listen, the more successful you get, it could kind of get to your head. Mm-hmm. But again, I always focus on with the man I am now, with the the five-year-old kid in me when in the past. Be proud of that man I am now. And yeah. I make that me for every decision I make. And uh, like I said, between this picture here and Bob Ross there and my Nintendo Super Mario stuffed animal over there and Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and Dracula and Frankenstein over here, I keep this stuff here, number one, because I like it, yeah. but again... The moment you stop being a little kid is the more you become uh, an asshole. And that's yeah, not going to yeah. either make fun of me because I'm into pop culture or you could respect the fact that, you know what, I'm still going to be humble and, you know, I'm doing what I want. I did want everything I want. So if I died tomorrow, I, I accomplished it. You know, I still have more to accomplish, but I don't I'm not allowed any negative day in my life man drew
1: i
2: gotta bring you back on man i mean we're spot on obviously like i said we had similar backgrounds so we move through life very similar and we're doing you know some of the same things that's kind of what comes along with it but man i appreciate you for coming on i gotta bring you back i'm gonna send you my deal so you can take a look at it and let me know what you think about it but man it was a pleasure talking to you man we got to do it again
3: yeah 100 percent
2: aren't
4: you ready to start a business or grow your real estate investing portfolio If you answered yes, allow Andre and the expert advisors at the Residual Roads Business Institute to fast track and put you on a path to full-time investing. The greatest transfer of wealth in our lifetime is occurring over the next few years and you can take advantage if you know what to look for. In order to be successful at real estate investing, you need to learn how to leverage your current resources to generate quick money, big money, and retirement money. Let Residual Roads advisors craft a plan to get you through these phases using little or no money in six months or less. Don't wait for a job. Create one for yourself and others go to residualroads.com for mentorship and for our free course go to residualroads.thinkific.com
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
0: Lucky in line at the deli I guess haha uh-huh, in my dentist's office